Welcome back, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with a Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, and I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker and a certified sex therapist, ASEC certified, and I work with sex and couples. And I'm here today with my lovely producer, Vicki, and I'm going to introduce her in a moment, first wanting you to know the mission. So the mission is to help people embrace sex-positive thinking and attitudes into daily life for optimal health, which includes sexual health. You know, we go for annual mammograms, pelvic exams, and prostate exams for sexual health. We owe it to ourselves to check up on the emotional and mental health aspects of sexual health for sexual health and well-being to increase pleasure, play, and passion in our lives. And once again, I want to give a shout out to all those folks around the world who are now listening to and downloading our podcast. It's very exciting. So hi, everybody out there, wherever you are. And welcome, Vicki. Nice to see you, my Hello. lovely producer. <laughs> How you doing? Doing well. Good. Good, good, good. You're healthy. I'm happy, healthy, very thankful. <laughs> Good. Wearing your mask and socially distancing and washing your hands. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. And waiting for that vaccine. Mm. <laughs> Can't wait. So yeah, here we are again today. And uh, we're going to be doing a bit of a Q&A, right? We are. We're going to be going through some more of those relationship scenarios because everybody seemed to like that so much. Um, so whenever you're ready, we can just dive right in. Sure. I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Let's go right. for it. Um, so our first scenario, I am a 22-year-old female and I realized that my happiness depends a lot on my boyfriend. We've known each other for about a year. We've been together officially for eight months, and we have lived together most of that time. I'm used to always being with him when he's not at work. Recently, I lost my own job, so I'm home all the time. Mm. And he's been home for the past month due to a family issue. It's only a 30-minute drive, but due to his work and family commitments, we no longer see each other every other. We no longer see each other every day. And I'm realizing that my happiness very much depends on him being around. How do I change that so it doesn't ruin my relationship? <laughs> so I, I'm I'm not clear. Did you say they live together, but they don't see each other? They lived. They do live together, but for the past month, um, it seems like oh. the boyfriend has been um, not living with her because he's been living at home, taking care of whatever family issue arose. Uh, I see. So the past month, okay. she's been very sad because he hasn't been around and she realizes that her happiness depends heavily on him. And so her last question was what? How, How do does I... she change that so it doesn't ruin the relationship? Ah, change feeling so dependent on him for her happiness. Mm -hmm. Dependency, mm. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this can be a theme for folks for sure, especially when we're young. Um. And yeah, so I'm hearing that there are some difficulties that have occurred, right? So I'm interested in knowing about that. She's now unemployed. Is that it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she lost her job. When did she lose her job again? She just said recently. Oh, recently. Okay. Um, and they, it's interesting. They've been living together most of the time they've been together, right? So they met a year ago. They're together eight months, mm -hmm. living together most of that time. So, you know, that's something that I 
sort of caution people about in that when we move in together pretty quickly, we don't get to have that lusciously delightful, mysterious dating experience. Mm. You know, and then it's the slippery slope of falling too quickly into a routine that's not necessarily romantic, uh, that's not mysterious. Mystery is a, is a really wonderful part of the beginning of a relationship that's important for us to experience because we never really have that again years down the line. Yeah. You know, so I, I want people to really relish in that, even though it's hard because you long for your partner, you want to see them, but allow that to wash over you and enjoy that part. Because when we move in very quickly, then again, you know, we're on the couch watching TV, you know, eating Chinese food, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing because that's those things in and of themselves are fun. But too quickly, we get set into routines that uh, are more related to friendship than romance and mystery. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it seems hard too that, I, I think it's a good thing that, you know, she's recognizing that. So like she's recognizing that, but I mm-hmm. think that's a hard thing to, to work through, especially if, you know, your partner is also working through his own things with his family and at home. And mm-hmm. he seems like he has a lot on his mind too. Yeah. So I remember when I was young, I had a therapist who, who very intelligently said to me, girl, you got to get busy and get a life. <laughs> and so what I would say to this lovely young woman who does have the insight, I, I agree, this is good insight for her that she wants to develop herself so that she can be better in the relationship. That's great. Um, and I have a lot of empathy that she's lost her job. So, you know, we find identity and purpose and meaning in our work. And that's very challenging. So if we don't have a job, uh, it's important to think about volunteering. Volunteering can be a pathway to a job because you're building relationships, you're connecting, you're learning, you know, you're learning some skills. Um, so that's, that's a really, really good way to uh, get connected and be developing yourself. And once you have those relationships in a volunteer position, it's more likely you might get hired. I know it's COVID. I know it's hard. I know that's challenging, but you know, that still applies to, to some degree. There are volunteer opportunities out there. Um, so I would, I would say, you know, see if you can get some volunteer position if you're having difficulty getting a job. Um, you know, if you're having difficulty getting a job because you need more of a skill set, maybe consider going back to school, whether it's vocational or academic. You know, maybe she has her college degree. I don't know. Um, if she doesn't, you know, the more education we have, again, whether it's vocational or academic, the more likely we are to get work because we have more of a skill set. Uh, and that may just be certifications and trainings and things like that. And that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think she has the right impulse to be developing herself and her own happiness so that she will be um, more developed in the relationship. You know, I'm reminded of this poem. I'm actually going to read this lovely poem. Maybe I've read this before. Remind me if I'm repeating myself, Vicki. Um, Peter McWilliams. 1970. This is in one of the David Schnark books. Can I read the poem? Absolutely. It's a lovely metaphor for the development of oneself. So he writes the following. I must conquer my loneliness alone. I must be happy with myself or I have nothing to offer you. Two halves have little choice but to join. And yes, they do make a whole. But two holes, when they coincide, 
That is beauty. That is love. That's beautiful. Yeah. So she's on the right track in terms of, you know, wanting to become a better her, uh, wanting to be, you know, she, I, I encourage her to socially connect with friends, um, you know, get exercise, um, you know, eat as well as she can, take care of herself, uh, you know, all that stuff of life. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe talk to him about, you know, he's not living there now. You know, what, what is her role? Is it her role to support him? You know, are they, maybe is he thinking about dating other people? Um, or he's just focused on helping his family, you know, to just get clear about where, where they're at at this point in time. Um, or go with the flow. Uh, she can do that too. And whatever happens, happens, you know, there's no guarantees in life. Um, but yeah, good for her for, for recognizing that she wants to develop herself. And there are a number of ways to do that. And again, I think she's got the right inclination. Absolutely. Okay. Scenario two. I have been in a relationship for five years with a woman that I love very much. 90% of the time, all is wonderful in the way that relationships can and should be. Every so often, usually after an argument, she complains about the things I'm not doing enough of or not doing fast enough. She particularly picks on my life achievements, such as owning a house, having a certain salary. I work over 70 hours a week at a very intense job, and I always give everything both professionally and personally to my job and to our life together. Um, I don't feel like I'm doing too badly. Putting, I'm trying to move ahead in my career and generally getting, oh, there's a typo there, generally getting everything figured out a lot more. But despite all of this, my partner still has the same grievances every time we argue. Can these problems ever be resolved or is there always going to be more that she is after? <sighs> yeah, I think they need to call the office. Yeah. <laughs> so you can call Donna at 508. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um hmm. yeah this is a case where i'd want to see both people together um i'd want to find out you know if you know i'd want to find out well first of all it sounds like um this person who's writing feels like they are putting enough into the relationship but maybe the partner feels like they don't because they work 70 hours a week Mm. Um, you know, that may not leave a lot of time for investing in the relationship. I don't know. There's only so much time in the day. I mean, I will say that when we're working more than 60 hours a week, uh, or, or, you know, more than 50, certainly, um, that's not leaving a lot of, a lot that's of a, time. That's a, 70 hours a week is a lot. That's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. You know, pe I, there was some information out there not long ago about folks who were working for Apple. Mm -hmm. um, in Japan and they were doing these 60 plus hour work weeks mm -hmm. and they were committing suicide. Oh. Um, and so it's a little crazy making to be working too much. So mm -hmm. I really, really caution people when they're working too many hours or devoting too many hours to their job to be looking at, are you devoting enough time to the relationship? Because you may think that you are, uh, but you may not actually be doing that. So again, I've talked about some of these formulas of planning date nights, planning intimacy, sexual, non-sexual, all of that for folks who don't have children, a minimum of once a week. Um, for folks who have children, a minimum of twice a month. Um, 
to be able to have, you know, some quality time with your partner uh, is really important. And if we look at, yeah, I mean, how many hours are there in a week? I would be likely to do the math. 168. I just did it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So there you go. I mean, 70 is almost half of those hours and Mm -hmm. we have to sleep, right? So hopefully we get somewhere between seven and nine hours a night. So now we're talking about another 56. It's not leaving a lot of time for a relationship. Mm-mm. You know, and a relationship is, if we want to develop it to its fullest, um, we have to put time in, like, to the garden, right? Um, or to, if you want to get good at a musical instrument or a hobby, you've got to put time in to develop yourself at it um, so that you can start to have fun. And uh, it would seem that a person would be exhausted and very tired um, and just mentally drained. You know, you mentioned the mental load, right? Yeah. Um, that's a lot of load if you're putting in that many hours. It, it just begs the question, is this person really able to put in enough time? So that's that's some things I might propose to this person. I would ask the partner, you know, how, do, how are they feeling or what's their observation about that? And then I would also say to the partner, you know, I, we, I want to explore... Um, your criticisms seemingly about your partner's owning a house, your partner's salary, you know, the putting in of the 70 hours a week, what's, what's going on there? Mm. You know, cause as we know from Gottman and Schwartz, criticisms are one of those four horsemen of the apocalypse, meaning the prediction of the end coming of the relationship, mm. criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling and resentments, um, all lead to contempt. And again, there's that, you know, according to Gottman and Schwartz, an 81% chance of breakup or divorce in that case. Wow. Yeah. So we have to be careful about our criticisms. Criticisms, we want to be curious, not furious. Um, And if folks don't have a productive way of problem solving, again, you know, uh, therapy with a, a certified and trained couples and sex therapist is very helpful in giving you a much more productive and um, constructive way of managing these problems. And also, you know, crit- don't forget, that's what therapy is here for. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. You know, but but folks, if they feel like, you know, they, they can't afford it, if they if they want to listen to some of our podcasts here, they can do that. There's reading material on my website. Um, there's lots of tools out there that folks can start to learn, you know, how not to be counterproductive. You know, criticism is counterproductive. Sarcasm is counterproductive. You know, people think they're being funny, uh, but sarcasm is mean-spirited. So, um, listen, I'm a New Yorker, you know, I'm a deep, deep Seinfeldian who just, you know, loves a great round of sarcasm, man. You know, I'm all for it, but not in my relationship with my significant other because it can be injurious. It just doesn't go over very well. So, so what I say to people is, you know, imagine that you're kind of two birds sitting on a tree branch, look out at the rest of the world and have at it with your sarcasm, but don't turn that on each other. Well, that's one of those things too, where, you know, if you're part of a couple that might be sarcastic or they always try to be funny or like things like that, that are normal. I feel like, especially if there's something else deep down that's been bothering that person, Mm -hmm. the 
a joke that you might think is a joke might set that other person off rather quickly. And then Mm -hmm. you're both on the defensive and the person that made the joke is like, why all of a sudden is this bothering you? This never bothered you before. And then the other person is like, well, and then it just like starts to unravel. Oh, it's the cap off the toothpaste, right? Yeah. And it all comes <laughs> squeezing out. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the tip of the iceberg. And look, the tip of the iceberg, interestingly, is the way we cope. So I like to think of it as, you know, we have these survival strategies. Um, so some of our unhealthy survival strategies that, you know, we sort of can't help until we know better than we do better um, are the, the criticisms and the defensiveness. That, that's a very common cycle that I see. And what's underneath that, sort of like what's under the, the surface, you know, under that iceberg, under that tip, is, you know, all the, the vulnerabilities that we all possess. You know, the, the fear, the shame, oh, the sadness. A lot of this is, you know, rooted in loss and fear of abandonment. You know, I find loss to really be at the core of most issues for couples. You know, fear of losing your partner or a, a history of um, with other partners, losses, infidelities, um, injuries, hurts, and then fear of experiencing that again. So, you know, this is where, you know, a, a good process where we can start to explore our vulnerabilities and our kind of go-to survival strategies and start to see how that's not productive, it's counterproductive, and, and start to be more open and direct and take risks and say, look, I'm really afraid of losing you. You know, you're working 70 hours a week and we don't have much time together and I'm lonely. I feel isolated. Um, I miss you. Uh, that's that's going to get across to your partner probably more more effectively than a criticism about yeah. it. And the criticism, right, is, is just the go-to ineffective defense survival strategy, which is natural and normal. So then our last scenario, um, this one mm-hmm. actually came through Instagram. So if mm-hmm. you ever see us post something on Instagram at the happy ending therapist that um, you either have a question about, or, you know, you maybe you have an idea that you'd like to see us talk about or a scenario of your own that you'd like to hear us talk about, please mm-hmm. feel free to DM us or leave us a comment or anything like that. And we'd be happy to go through it. So uh, this one is a woman that reached out and she said that she is a bisexual woman. And she's been in a relationship with a man um, for the past three years. And Mm -hmm. she's been very happy in that relationship. But lately, um, when it gets time for the two of them to be intimate, her mind starts to wander in a way that it hasn't before. And she starts thinking of women um, more than focusing on the the partner that's in front of her. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was asking what should she do? Should she vocalize that to her partner? Should she let it go? Does that mean that she no longer loves her partner? And she wanted to hear your take on it. Mm, Wow. What a great question. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so it's all normal. Um, it doesn't mean because she's having erotic fantasies about women that she doesn't love her partner. Um, you know, erotic fantasy life, the erotic fantasy life can be a rich and wonderful source of pleasure and people can choose to share it with their partner or not. Um, lots of folks fear sharing their erotic fantasies because of, you know, 
perhaps what their partner might say or think or feel, you know, that they might experience some sort of rejection or discomfort from their partner. So again, you know, this sort of fear of, of showing your vulnerability, uh, you don't want to be judged right by your partner. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I think that if she's being intimate with her partner, her man, um, and she's turned on by him and loves him and want and desires to continue to be in this relationship, Again, erotic fantasies are really normal. And and she's bisexual, so she's naturally oriented to be turned on by women mm-hmm. and women's parts and men and men's parts. Right. Um, and that's great. So um, well, she's been with him for three years, and that's another interesting part of it, right? So in the first year or two, hormones are driving that sexual connection. Mm -hmm. And we really don't have to do that much to feel turned on by our partner. Right. Um, And then once we get past about a year and a half, two years, now the honeymoon is over, so to speak. And we have to really use our prefrontal cortex to start to put the effort in to, to grow that desire that came so naturally or that arousal, maybe more appropriately, that came so naturally. Um, And if she chooses to share this with her partner, and her partner is accepting, well, that's great. Um, she could put her toe in the water a little bit, you know, and kind of, you know, ask him some questions about has he ever fantasized about being with two women? Um, you know, that might be a way to start a conversation. And if he says no, well, you know, she can say, well, um, you know, sometimes I have erotic fantasies about women. Um, and I think, you know, Typically, and maybe I'm stereotyping here, I think it's easier for women to disclose that they're attracted to women. Um, I think that's more acceptable in society than men disclosing that they're attracted to men. Mm. That I'm hoping that's changing um, because sexual orientation is not binary. It's not one thing or another. Right, right, right. It works on a continuum and a, and a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there are many variations in terms of our sexuality. And, you know, as uh, so many writers out there are talking about that, they're all a beautiful opportunity to be enriched with our sexuality. And it doesn't mean that she wants to be with another woman in this case example. She loves her husband, it sounds like, or her partner, her male partner. Um, but she's playing around with her erotic fantasy life. And I think that's wonderful. And should she share? Should she not share? Um, that's up to her. But I would hope to educate her partner or that her partner would be educated that it's all normal. And what it, what's really important in the end is choice. Uh, if they are in a, a relationship that promises monogamy and fidelity, then it has to be uh, clearly uh, outlined or addressed or underscored or you know, clearly talked about that it's not that she's interested in being with other people necessarily. She's just interested in the fantasy and it turns her on and sharing fantasies can bring us closer to our partners. And, and I really encourage that. I want people to talk about their erotic fantasies with each other. Um, you know, maybe they push their toe in the water a little bit at first and then they start exploring, um, more openly, but, um, certainly, certainly it's, it's, it's some fodder for, for quite a bit of richness for them in terms of their their sexuality together, their intimacy together. Sounds like an opportunity. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. And I think, again, I really want to normalize how 
uh, intimidating it can be to discover our own sexuality and then wonder whether we should share it with our partner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also important to you made a good point before something that we say all the time, but every, everything is normal unless it's something that you should see a doctor about. Right. So yeah, making mm-hmm. sure that, you know, couples know and people listening know that things are normal. You're probably not the only person that's dealing with that issue and it's okay to talk mm-hmm. about it and reach out to a therapist if you need to. So, yeah. And you know, the other thing I want to say about this is I think <clears throat> when a person identifies as bisexual or, um, you know, they're, they're living in a world where they're having normal responses to non-normative experiences. And what I mean by that is that the world does not really yet in 2020 or 2021, um, the world has not yet accepted fully bisexuality as, a, as an orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of parents out there who struggle with their children's bisexuality because they don't they don't want their children to you know live a life where they're hurt or uh, they feel judged and you know so that's understandable that the parents feel that way but I really really want to educate the public um, that that being gay or bisexual um, or having uh, you know dealing with gender identity issues you know um, transitioning your gender, you know, these are all things that uh, are are normal, um, and the world just hasn't caught up. So you're normal, but the world has not yet accepted that. So you're having normal responses to a non-normative experience where the world is telling you it's not right, but it's really right. Just folks, folks just need to know more. That's all. And when we know better, we do better, as Maya Angelou said. All right. So once again, thanks everybody for joining us again, you know, please send in those Q and A's happy to answer them. Um, you can find me on, uh, the happy ending therapist on Instagram, on Facebook, just look up the sex and couples therapist. You can call the office at 508-990-9909 here in Massachusetts. And you can go on the website to www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. Thanks for joining Vicki and I today. We really appreciate it. And remember, please always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. See you next time.